Hey everyone, it's really good to see you. Uh, welcome to my little filming studio here. I've, I've got my I've got my statutory pot plant and uh, I've got my wall chart here of Daniel. I, I took that from the the BibleProject.com. Um, we looked at it last week, and I don't know whether you've had a chance to to uh, watch that yourself. Um, but you could sort of just freeze it right at the end, take a still of the of the picture as it's unfolded. And I, I found this really helpful as a visual aid to orient ourselves in Daniel. We're going to have several um, readings today. We're going to look at various different bits of, of the Bible uh, by way of backdrop for our, our journey with Daniel uh, and the people of Israel in exile. So, so here's the first one. It's in Lamentations. Um, it's not much point in me giving you a page number. We've all got different Bibles that you look it up in the index or uh, your phone will help you, um, but it's, it's basically just, it's, if, you, if you find Psalms and then start going, which back, slap bang in the middle of the Bible, and then, and then start going towards the end of the book, you, you'll get through some of the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, he, he's just after, <clears throat> um, or Lamentations, is just after Jeremiah. I'm just going to read the first four verses, um, thought to be written by Jeremiah, um, and thought to be written around the, um, the, the sack and destruction of, of Jerusalem as uh, uh, people are carried off into exile in Babylon and as in various stages Nebuchadnezzar um, sacks the city and the temple. So Lamentations 1 verse 1. <laughs> Uh, descriptive of all those centuries ago, actually incredibly familiar right now in lockdown London. Verse 1, how deserted lies the city, once so full of people. How like a widow is she, who once was great among the nations. She who was queen among the provinces has now become a slave. Bitterly. She weeps at night, tears are upon her cheeks. Among all her lovers there is no one to comfort her. All her friends have betrayed her, they've become her enemies. After affliction and harsh labour, Judah has gone into exile. She dwells among the nations, she finds no resting place. All who pursue her have overtaken her in the midst of her distress. The roads to Zion mourn, for no one comes to her appointed feasts. All her gateways are desolate, her priests groan, her maidens grieve, and she is in bitter anguish. Well, I've got to say, amid the um, obvious frustrations, uh, the different adjustments that we're having to make, and uh, that, that sense sometimes of of uh, kind of grief and lament expressed in our reading that maybe we can resonate with from time to time. Uh, actually, uh, people I think are coping incredibly well. I just loved hearing uh, earlier on in the week from the life group leaders um, just different creative and ingenious ways in which you're. Um, gathering together and um, making the most of life in these strange times. Have you, have, you, um, have you begun to grasp some of the lockdown lingo that is uh, beginning to emerge? Here we are, a, a, a Corona coaster. 
A Corona coaster basically describes the ups and downs of your mood during the pandemic. Uh, you're loving lockdown one minute and suddenly weepy with anxiety the next. It truly is an emotional Corona coaster. Maybe you've um, partaken of a, a quarantini. Quarantinis are experimental cocktails mixed with whatever random ingredients you have left in the house. The boozy equivalent of a store cupboard supper. Southern Comfort and Ribena Quarantini with a glacé cherry garnish, anyone? These are sipped at locktail hour, which is effectively wine o'clock during lockdown, but that seems to be creeping earlier and earlier with each passing week. Link to that is Furlough Merlot. This is, uh, this is wine consumed in an attempt to relieve the frustration of not working like you usually did, your typical working patterns. It's also known as Bordeaux or Cabernet Tedium. <laughs> Finally, there's the, the elephant in the Zoom. Anyone experienced this? This is the glaring issue during a video conferencing call that nobody feels able to mention. Um, one participant has dramatically put on weight or suddenly sprouted terrible facial hair or has a worryingly messy house visible in the background. <laughs> This piece finishes, uh, there's one sentence that will sum up 2020 so far. It is that at one point, a loo roll was worth more than a barrel of crude oil. Lockdown lingo, coping with different challenging circumstances, often humour, sometimes lament, maybe a bit of both. Uh, the Book of Daniel, it's, it's a book in the Bible, uh, written for us so that we can cope in difficult or testing times. When, when life isn't going as we thought it would, Daniel and his contemporaries, they grew up in Jerusalem. They had the temple, they had the city. This was God's people in God's place under God's perfect good rule and reign. His plans and purposes were working out in their lives. What's well, not to like? And Nebuchadnezzar comes and Daniel, he's a young man, he's probably late teens, carried off to a foreign land, different sights and sounds and smells. It's, it's unusual, it's disturbing, it's disrupting. This is definitely plan B. This isn't what he dreamed or thought life was gonna work out. The book of Daniel is, is to encourage us in, as Viv Thomas puts it, second choice living. When this isn't what we would long for or hope for. Now I'd encourage you to, to read the Bible to, to, and, and particularly read the book of Daniel. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's challenging in a sense. Um, it, it has uh, the chapters you can see from the wall chart behind me here, it, it has the, the chapters two through six of, of kind of events um, through the Babylonian uh, context, the kings, Daniel's uh, interpretation of their dreams, the way in which he, he rises to influence and prominence. Those are the bits that are written in, in Aramaic, uh, the lingua franca of the day. It's kind of, you know, the equivalent in a sense of, of English today, which is, is spoken or understood by many more countries than, than just England. So, uh, so that Aramaic uh, language is, is, look, this is a story for everyone. These are events that everyone can, can grasp. 
But then the bits written in Hebrew, chapter one and then chapters eight to the end, are, are specifically for God's people to understand. They, they bring an interpretative element to these events that whilst God's people are living in, in, in uncomfortable or displaced circumstances, tune in to what God is saying through it. L listen to how God wants you to interpret what you're going through. So just as for um, Daniel and his people and his descendants, so through the generations to us today, Daniel has, and the book of Daniel has much to say to us. How do we live in unfamiliar settings? Or to put it in the words of that psalm, how do we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? It's worth remembering that God created men and women, people we read in Genesis, to go forth and, and multiply, to fill the earth with a sense of his glory. As they were made in his image, to reflect his love and truth and beauty. So, so take that out. Bless the world. Israel, it's just a sort of name for the people of God, the people who knew and loved God, who carried his image. Israel was called to be a light amongst the Gentiles, to shine in the gloom and the darkness. But much of the Old Testament narrative sadly describes the way in which God's people wandered away from the light source, God. And as they engaged with the neighbouring nations, countries, so they compromised, they sold out. And the light of God in their lives flickered and grew dim. The prophets warned them, look, you guys, you, you're indistinguishable from the pagans around you. It's hard to tell the difference between those who worship other gods and those who worship the one true living God. Time and again, God warned his people, come back to me. Fill yourself with my light, my life, my love, so that you may radiate that to others. But time and again, the people would not listen, hard-hearted, stiff-necked. They went their own way. So we read, you see, in Daniel chapter 1 and verse 2, actually God kind of allowed them to be taken away, to be carried off. This sad exit from Zion, the place where God is, into exile and all that is unfamiliar and disrupting, disturbing in a foreign land, Babylon. And the book is written to encourage Christians to, to live for God, to, to seek him. God had carried them off into exile, into Babylon, in order that they learn to become distinct again. In order that they pay attention to the light of his life first and foremost in their lives. And that's what they and we are called to live by and to live from. 
The book of Daniel is to encourage all God's people to see that God is sovereign in the world, even when the surroundings are weird, strange and uncomfortable. Even when life is sometimes tough. The book of Daniel is written to encourage God's people to trust in God and live faithfully for him, even when, perhaps especially when, he seems distant or invisible or absent from everyday life. That's how it must have felt for, for long, long periods of time for Daniel and his contemporaries in Babylon. Where is God? Daniel wrote the book uh, shortly after the exile. It's like a reflection, if you like, once they're back, to say, look, in, in tough times, it will surely come again. And we know that actually, when we, those of us you around, um, as we look through the book of Nehemiah and the rebuilding of the walls, once they're back, this is a, a generation or two later after Daniel, uh, and if you remember, they had hassle, they had opposition, they had struggle. It was not easy re-establishing uh, Jerusalem, the walls, the temple. It, it, it didn't come easy, it was tough. And Daniel wrote the book for those tough times, when God seems distant, when life isn't going how you hoped it would, when not all is easy then stay close to God, trust him. He's there even when he doesn't appear to be. He's working behind the scenes even if you can't immediately discern it. Be encouraged, sing the Lord's song even when it feels like you're in strange lands. So we're gonna pursue these themes through the book of Daniel. We're going to look at the importance of interpreting what's going on around you. We're going to look at how we can build lives for the kingdom, even when around us it feels foreign. We'll look at how Daniel adapted, as well as those things that he avoided in Babylon, in order that he could prepare his hearts and the hearts of those around him for the glorious return, actually even greater, fulfilling the greatest longing of his heart than ever a return to Jerusalem itself, the physical place, could satisfy or fulfill. I want to I think a little bit today about, about paying attention to the deepest desire in us. I've called this talk, you'll see from the website and the series, yearning, yearning, exploring our deepest longing, our greatest desire. But before we go any further, I think we need to understand a little bit more about Babylon. I sort of mentioned Babylon and and I don't know does it does it feel a little bit sort of fanciful it's, it's kind of it just feels like it doesn't feel like it's contemporary or today it's the city of Babylon is about 50 miles south of, uh, of Baghdad in Iraq so it 
kind of those images uh, seem quite different to the kind of decadence and the wealth that we read of in the book of Daniel. These kings with weird names, Nebuchadnezzar, Belteshazzar, sort of feels far off, long away. It might have been real for Daniel, but it's not really real for us to speak into our daily experience. Or does it? I want to think a little bit about Babylon and what Babylon represents to see how when the Bible talks of Babylon, the Bible is speaking to us today. So I'm going to, I'm going to jump on my bike and, and just uh, take you somewhere. I want to show you something that will be familiar to, to all of you, maybe painfully familiar to some of you in your normal day-to-day -day lives. Uh, and then we'll, we'll think about that. So come with me. Well, I'm not in Babylon. Uh, this isn't the, the River Euphrates. I'm on Waterloo Bridge over the River Thames and behind me is the city. The morning sun shining on gleaming spires and towers. I wonder what the planners and architects and structural engineers said to themselves as they sat round the table and designed the plans and conceived the image of these towers. Let's make a tall tower. Let's make it bigger than the others. They have several stories, dozens and dozens. The financial markets and the corporate businesses will be centered here. They'll be the envy of the world. These will be financial headquarters, not just for the city or for Europe, for all around the world. These towers will be so high that they'll be nicknamed skyscrapers. Come, let us build. Does that sound familiar? Ring any bells with a significant story early on in the Bible? Oh. Tell you what, I'm going to jump back on my bike. I'll, I'll see you back home. But um, while I'm cycling back, why don't you grab hold of a Bible and turn to Genesis 11? Let's look at that in relation to Babylon, context for understanding Daniel and how he lived his life for God. Okay, have we got Genesis 11 in front of us? I'm going to read the first nine verses. Now, the whole world had one language and a common speech. And as people moved eastward, they found the plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and bitumen for mortar. And then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens 
so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that they were building. And the Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language they've begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there all over the earth and they stopped building the city. And that is why it was called Babel. Because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. A really significant story early on in the whole narrative of the Bible. Do you remember when God makes men and women, he creates them with his great sort of scheme and plan in mind for the whole of creation. He creates men and women to bear his image, to carry his light and life and love so that wherever they go, they can spread the life of God, the love of God, the glory of God to all peoples over the earth. That's why he, he commands them. It's the very first command, go, go forth, multiply, fill the earth with my goodness and my glory. That's the very heart of God, his plans and purposes for us. So can you see how that's in direct contrast to the people as they move east? And Shina, something, something uh, stirs them to stop. And rather than carry out the plans and purposes of God, they decide to do something for themselves. Let's make, you see there in verse four, let's build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. This isn't about making a name for God. It's not about living for his honor. It's about living for their own. And do you notice this? So that we may not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. They don't want to go forth and spread the good news of Jesus. They want to stop here. <laughs> Do you notice how uh, in verse 5, the Lord came down to see that city? <laughs> Again, it's just a helpful reminder. These guys think they're, they're building towers that reach to the skies as, as high as it's possible to go. And the Lord has to... The Lord has to kind of, what are they doing down there? He kind of has to come down. Oh, look, making a little, little tower. Let's go down, have a look. God's sovereignty, it's a little reminder, is, is far greater, far bigger than any human ingenuity. And by the way, for that matter, any consequence or impact of our, our sin and rebellion. God's sovereign love, his, his eternal plans can cope with anything that human beings come up with, even if, as the book of Daniel constantly reminds us, even if we're not aware of that, even if it's not immediately apparent. And God rightly says to himself, you know, Verse six, if as one people speaking the same language, they've begun to do this, to build a tower for themselves, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. It's an insight, isn't it? And 
and we'd say, wouldn't we, if we look at human history, especially our recent human history, that it rings true. That a, that a monolithic power that is opposed to the will of God is a dangerous thing. Think Hitler and Nazi Germany. I mean, imagine if Goebbels had had access to Twitter and Facebook. So God comes down and uh, confuses their language so that they can't communicate one with another. And uh, that place is Babel. Babel is, um, it's the uh, Hebrew word, it, it sounds like the Hebrew word for mix up or confuse. And actually it's a derivative of our English word babble. Um, a, a, a babble is just a cacophony of sound that it's, it's impossible to distinguish individual voices within a babble. It, it's just a confusion. And so we have the origins of Babel Town or, or Babelton or Babylon. Babylon in the Bible, it, it, it's a place where there's excavation, you can see it, um, the, the ruins and remnants of it even today. But, but Babylon in in the Bible comes to signify two things. Babylon is the place of rebellion against God. Babylon is where men and women come up with their own ideas. Men and women choose to live life their way. Men and women decide that, that God actually is no longer directly relevant to how we will plan and conceive and live our lives. So Babylon signifies the place of rebellion to God's rule and goodness and purpose for human flourishing, for the well-being of the whole of creation. And secondly, Babylon represents and symbolizes confusion, misunderstanding, dislocation and disappointment. Do you notice how God's ideal is that our lives should be lived in a way that honour him? But the tower that these people were building in Babel was made simply to impress others with their own ingenuity. And doesn't that speak to us today? And if, if you're watching this and you're maybe new to Christian things or, or um, exploring Christian things, the Bible still seems a, a, a weird book. Surely we've, we've dispensed with, with that. Then can I encourage you to think again about how God's voice through the pages of the Bible speaks to us even today it's it's so relevant today in many respects we live in Babylonian times in our culture it's much more like Babel than it is Jerusalem 
there is there is rebellion against the plans the schemes the priorities of God men and women have decided we'll live our own way we've got the science we've got the technology we've got the human reason to advance ourselves without any need to some benign force that we can't see or touch or feel is not part of the here and now and around us is confusion you and I experience that on a on a regular basis when we attempted to reach out to the gods of Babylon their siren calls they they promise so much that they're, they're dressed up nowadays in in subtle ideologies an ideology is just an idea that has become rooted it's it's become a an idea that is that's clustered knowledge and research and understanding so we think oh yeah th this is the way in which we'll live the these are the ways in which we'll order our lives these are the priorities ideologies have all their gods around them that call us to worship them there are ways in which we look to secure ourselves with, with knowledge or with material things if I if I have my mortgage sorted out if I have the house and the education for the kids I, I've got the job and my career path mapped out I've got some savings I've got enough people around me who think well of me who will speak into my life who will bolster me then I'll feel safe I'll feel secure I feel like I've accomplished I'm someone I've arrived these are these are gods idols they, they tantalize and, and for a while they 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 hold us they 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 appear to satisfy but they will not last and and that is what confuses us the things that we thought would help us would bolster us would secure us turn out to be the source of our insecurity Babylonian living Babylonian ideology Babylonian mindsets are when we we forsake God and we don't live for him first and foremost and when as a result we become confused in a in a deep spiritual sense our, our soul is not well not rested not at peace because we've bought into the confusion that God first introduced through Babel. Yearning, longing, when everything else is stripped away, what do you really desire deep down? Here's Daniel, uh, Daniel chapter 9, why don't you turn to that and follow this with me. <clears throat> Just while you're finding it, um, he gives a helpful uh, historical reference in the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes. Uh, and so we're able to date this to 539 BC. Now, now we know because of the dating when 
uh, Daniel's exile first took place. That was in 605 BC. So this is 66 years later. So if, if Daniel was, let's assume, we don't, we don't know, but let's assume that, I mean, Daniel had to be a young man, otherwise the, age, the dating becomes improbable. Because if he was 18 when he was carried off, then 66 means, means he's now 84. He's an old man. And he's lived all his adult life in Babylon when his heart, his yearning, would have been to live for God and with God in Zion. So listen to the heart of Daniel at the start of chapter nine. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We've sinned and done wrong. We've been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We've not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes and our ancestors, and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. Daniel's longing, he's yearning, an old man and yet he's still hungry for the things of God. Now he, he referred there to God speaking through the prophets and the prophet Jeremiah. So uh, don't worry to, to turn unless you, you want to. I'm, I'm now in Jeremiah 25 and verse 8, but I'll, I'll read it to you. Therefore the Lord Almighty says this, because you've not listened to my words, I will summon all the peoples of the north and my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, declares the Lord, and I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all the surrounding nations. I'll completely destroy them and make them an object of horror and scorn and everlasting ruin. I will banish from them the sounds of joy and gladness, the voices of bride and bridegroom, the sound of millstones and the light of lamp. This whole country will become a desolate wasteland. And turn the page. These nations will serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. But when the 70 years are fulfilled, I will punish the king of Babylon and this nation and the land of the Babylonians for their guilt, declares the Lord, and will make it desolate forever. So Daniel's aware of the fact that because Israel sinned, God is going to allow them off into exile. They'll be carried away to the Babylonians for 70 years. Just over, this is uh, chapter 29 of Jeremiah. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place, i.e. Zion. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. 
I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I've banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Daniel was overly familiar with those words. And here he is, chapter 9, and it's 66 years, and he's looking all around him, and he can't see a single sign that God is at work bringing about his promises. He can't see with just four years to go that there's any indication that, that Babylon is going to crumble, any indication that God is going to take them back, any indication that God is going to fulfill his promise. And so he says, I turn to the Lord, verse three, I pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting, in sackcloth and ashes. Effectively, Daniel's saying, come on, Lord, what is going on here? I've trusted you my whole life in Babylon. I've lived for you. I've stood for you. And that has been costly at times. Those lions had teeth. Where are you? Where are you, Lord? He's an old man. My, my dad is 83. He's the same age as, I guess, Daniel is here. And I hate all honour and respect to my dad. He's been retired some years now. And, and dad, bless him, is kind of, well, I've done my bit. There we are, kind of, you know, I want to live as well as I can, but I'm, I'm in my 80s. You could forgive Daniel and go, oh, okay. <sighs> yeah, I gave it my best shot. Oh, you know, Babylon's not such a bad place as sort of the bazaars and the markets, and it's, it's the kind of the place to be. Why, not, why, don't I just, why don't I just sort of sell out? Just stop pursuing God. He's not going to show up. He's not going to work. I might as well just mingle with the crowd, go with the flow, just see out the rest of my days here on earth in, in Babylon. No, no, that is not what Daniel does. Look at, look at verse, in chapter nine and verses 17, 18, 19. Now, our God, listen to the heart of Daniel, listen to the yearning of Daniel. Hear the prayers and petitions of your servant for your sake, Lord. Look with favour on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, our God, and, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act. For your sake, my God, do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. Does that characterize the longing, the deepest longing of your heart? Is that the kind of language that shapes your prayer day by day, week by week? Is that is that your worldview and your outlook? That your name, Lord, in your world and through your people should be glorified, honoured, revered once more. What are you yearning for? What are you hungry for? What are you desperate for? What drives and compels you? 
What are you willing to give up and to sacrifice in order that you might see even more fully and realise and experience in a new and fresh way? I've been sitting in Daniel for a few weeks now as I've been kind of thinking about this series and preparing it. And, and I reflect on, on my life so far. Um, I, I hope I've still got loads of life to live, but I'm, I'm, I'm in my mid-50s. I mean, if you, were to de- if you were to describe me as middle-aged, that would frankly be a compliment now. I've been, I've been a Christian for 40 years, pretty much. I've been in ordained Christian ministry for over 20. And if I'm honest, there's a part of me that is a little weary with kind of going through the motions. If I'm honest, quite a lot of my life sometimes can feel like just slightly tired religion. You're just doing Sunday and doing midweek and doing things and hoping that other people in doing religious things inch their way closer to God. I'm tired of that. I'm hungry for more of God. I want want prayer to be even more powerful and effective. That that when we we seek God for things, he shows up. That, That when we pray for people to come to living faith in him, They are converted gloriously from darkness to light, from death to life. That when we pray for healing, we see something of God's restoration through that prayer. That the dislocation of our world is is put right and back together again. That there's there's peace, there's shalom, there's there's harmony, there's well-being. I want to see that and I'm tired of not seeing it. What about you? What are, you, what are you hungry for? What do you long for? I, I suppose I'm kind of gratified slightly by the fact that, that there's a phrase that I read and, and hear on a fairly regular basis in this time of corona, which, which makes me, I think it's in here, in my spirit, it just makes me go, no. And it's the phrase, back to normal. People, people will say, oh, oh, well, when we're back to normal, you know, when we're back on track, and, and there's something in me that goes, no. No, please, God. I think part of the yearning and part of the desire in me is that I, I don't want to go back to, to empty religion, to, to patterns of life that don't satisfy or fulfill, that frankly don't really do much to honour God. I don't want to go back. We're not going back. We can't go back. Too much is changing all around us. Too much is being shaken and stirred. This is a kind of exile, if you like, that wakes us up to the Babel in us, the rebellion and the confusion. I don't want to go back, do you? You want to go back to to apathy and, and complacency, to a kind of arrogant pride that kind of, I'll run my life, thanks, and fit God in if there's space. No, I'll fit my life around God who will fill the space, fill everything. I don't want to go back to confusion. 
back to normal. What does normal mean? Unless if we're honest, it means back to what was familiar, what was safe and secure, what I thought would bolster me and secure me. It's, it's just confusion. You, you buy that stuff, you get that thing, and, and, it, and it's brilliant. And for a while, it, it, it fills you with a, a kind of glow, that kind of post-purchase feel-good factor. And then you, you realise that the, the house you've bought, you've got to pay the rates on it and, and insurance, and, and then the roof leaks or the boiler cracks up, or I don't know, you, you get a fantastic car and it, it's scratched, or a new piece of kit or clothing and it becomes misshapen, it wears out. Hey, everything in this world that we seek to grab hold of is in bondage to decay. It won't last. And whatever it promises of eternal worth and significance is a lie. It's confusing you. These are how the idols speak. And if we, if we buy into their lies, if we sell out for them, we become dissatisfied. And so the promise fails and that confuses us in our spirit. We worship things that cannot possibly sustain us and satisfy us. And we find ourselves in Babylon. What do you want deep down? See, the story of Daniel and this journey through the book of Daniel, it won't begin to make sense in our deeper inner being. It, it, it won't water and feed our soul unless we, unless we know what we really, really long for, what we really, really desire. Yearning, like Daniel. Come on, Lord, for the sake of your name, in my life and through my life, others around me. I'm going to just leave some space now for you to, to ponder, to have time with God, just you and the Lord, to take inspiration and maybe a little bit of challenge from, from this, this old man, Daniel, chapter 9, he's in his 80s and yet he's hungry for God. What about you? I'm going to just put a question on the on the screen now will we'll allow some time for you to ponder this question. I, I, I never thought, they didn't encourage this in Wycliffe when I was trained, I, I, I never thought that I would ever preach a sermon where I would quote the Spice Girls. But in terms of framing a question that you could ask of God, just you in the, the quietness of your heart asking God and saying to him, Lord, I tell you what I want what I really, really want. It, it, Spice Girls apart. That's the question. That, that's the place to get to where you, it's not so much a question as a statement, isn't it? it you get yourself to the place where you say to God, strip everything away. Take me out of Zion, place me in the center of Babylon and I'll tell you what I want. Amid this rebellion and amid this confusion, I want you.
What do you want? What do you really, really want? What is your deepest longing? Your heartfelt desire? 